You're listening to SBS News. Jacinta Napajiba-Price, thanks for joining SBS. Thanks for having me, Anna. We appreciate it. Look, firstly, we've seen the latest polling data and it's looking quite strong for the no case. But how much stock do you take in these polls? Look, I'm really pleased to see the polls as they are at the moment, but I would never be complacent. Um, I'm certainly not going to take my foot off the pedal in terms of campaigning to ensure that we do secure a no vote across the country. I know that there are many Australians that are, are still... Uh, undecided, uh, uninformed, those that don't realise that there's a referendum taking place. So keeping that in mind, um, yes, um, there's not going to be much sleep to be had between now and October 14. It's the first chance we've had to speak to you directly for a while. So I just wanted to take you back to a couple of comments that were made recently at the CPAC conference. At that conference, there was a comedian who referred to traditional owners as violent black men and referred to the Indigenous leader Benelong as a woman basher. What do you say in response to those comments? Are they appropriate? Uh, look, probably not appropriate. I wasn't there at the time when those comments were made because my focus has been obviously on the campaign trail. I, of course, attended CPAC, provided my uh, contribution to CPAC, and I was gone again. Uh, and my focus continues to be uh, the campaign trail going forward. And um, you know, issues of concern to Indigenous Australians on the ground, across the board, um, and that's what my focus is. That language is pretty strong and for many people was really offensive. Your campaign um, partner, really, Warren Mundine, who is the chair of CPAC, he said no comment when he was asked about this. Would you like to see him give a pretty strong rebuttal to this kind of language? Oh, look, I think going forward the focus is the campaign. I'd certainly like to see strong rebuttals against those who have made pretty, you know, gratuitous and uh, racially vilifying comments toward myself. And, of course, Warren, we've both been on the receiving end of those sorts of comments and it would be nice too to have, you know, some sort of backup on both sides uh, of politics across the board in support of individuals like myself and we're confronted with those sorts of comments as well. Let's get into the actual campaign process now. So John Farnham uh, has released in collaboration with the S23 and other uh, promotional campaigns for this referendum uh, a a version of The Voice. Uh, He's gone back as part of this process to create this advertisement which looks back over Indigenous history and achievement and talks about uh, the need for change here. How powerful and potent do you think that will be in convincing people? Well, I think for the everyday Australian, I think for Indigenous people in remote communities, it probably means very little at all. I mean, what is highlighted with that ad is the amazing achievements of Indigenous Australians. It does prove that we've had plenty of voices in the past, as opposed to this concept that we've never actually had uh, a voice. And I mean, I don't know how much impact it will have. It's sort of, it's a little bit paternalistic in, in many regards. And there um, is very in little, you know, is, is little in way of um, showing Indigenous Australia from remote communities, um, the regions, and many who have spoken from um, regional communities uh, that they are not necessarily in support of the voice, that they don't know much about it. It was very much aimed at middle class, non Indigenous Australia, I think, which is where I guess, you know, the Yes campaign are hoping that they can um, take advantage from the goodwill. Um, from those individuals, certainly about making middle-class non-Indigenous Australia feel good about 
um, you know, um, thinking they're supporting something that's right. But otherwise, I don't know how much um, Mr Farnham has had to do with many remote regional communities or Indigenous people in those places and understands the sorts of issues that they are confronted with either. When you watched it, did you feel moved when you looked at all that history laid out of the, the many decades of the sort of struggle for recognition and empowerment? Oh, look, I think um, there's still a lot of struggle going on um, for a lot of marginalised, voiceless um, victims of um, domestic and family violence. You know, the people that I know on the ground uh, in, in town camps and regional communities that reach out to me quite often uh, who feel like, you know, these bu- big bureaucracies don't listen to them, um, who feel like that they've never had a seat at the table because they've been taken up by powerful uh, middle-class uh, Indigenous Australians and activists and because their voices are there that these voices aren't necessarily being heard and don't believe the voice will be a vehicle for them to be heard uh, either. So, you know, I'm sure it's a feel-good ad for many, uh, but um, uh, I also recognise through that ad just how far we have come, um, certainly as a nation, given that now we've got 11 Indigenous federal parliamentarians, uh, which is something that certainly Neville Bonner, the first elected senator, Indigenous senator, was elected in 1972, wanted to see happen. And we're achieving those things, and we're achieving those things without um, this concept of a voice. Let's just clarify what the difference is between the yes and no campaigns here. So, so you, you are actually in favour of legislating a voice to the parliament that represents local and regional communities, is that correct? Oh, look, there are conversations around bodies. Um, I wouldn't, I guess, call it a voice, if you like. There are those conversations taking place within the coalition uh, and looking forward post the referendum. There's certainly uh, what we need to focus on going forward. But at the minute, um, certainly my focus is getting across this bridge, which is the referendum and the fact that there's very little detail about this concept uh, that certainly the Prime Minister has not provided for the Australian people uh, and there's no understanding around it. Uh, Again, you're the voice, try and understand it, if you like, um, around what this involves, how people will be elected to it, how it will function, all of those sorts of details are what the focus is at the minute and the Australian people, the question before them uh, is around, is, is, is suggests it's around recognition through this voice body, but ultimately um, we don't know what this is. But the, the Liberal leader, Peter Dutton, has spoken about legislating a, a body representing regional and remote voices. He's spoken about the concept of that being something that he endorses. Isn't that exactly what a voice to Parliament would be? So... Um, what I understand is that the coalition had, has committed, has been a long-term commitment, um, certainly to recognition, uh, certainly to the understanding of creating regional remote bodies, um, you know, that will be able to have representation from regional remote areas. Uh, that is something that uh, Peter Dutton has spoken about. Um, nothing is obviously in concrete uh, at this stage. And again, because right now the question before us is the model that um, Anthony Albanese has proposed to the Australian people, uh, which doesn't have any detail, which is very much about ensuring that um, you know the elite activist class uh, have control 
through this mechanism known as the voice, uh, very much a Trojan horse, and that is what the focus is at the moment, certainly for me. And the opposition leader has spoken now about having an additional referendum uh, for constitutional recognition. Did he consult you about that position, and do you fully back that position? Oh, look, there's been many conversations about um, what that looks like because, again, uh, it's a long-standing position of the coalition. But did he, did, did he, I guess, get your view and do you fully back the idea of a further referendum? Yeah, as I've said, we've had conversations because it's been a long-standing um, commitment by the coalition government to have uh, reconciliation, uh, reconciliation, recognition, uh, but... The problem is the way the Albanese government has approached this has been lack of process. So, uh, you know, the, the coalition have always wanted to ensure that there'd be um, a, a, a proper process that has taken place uh, to ensure there's been consultation with the Australian people, uh, and that hasn't really taken place. So I know that um, certainly the leader of the opposition has, has committed to this going forward. Again, there's many bridges to cross, the first being this referendum on October 14th. Okay, but just to be clear, did you back and did you agree with the opposition leader that a further referendum should happen? As I've said, um, recognition through a constitutional amendment, I've always said publicly that that is something that I could support uh, going forward. Uh, The processes need to take place with the Australian people um, first, uh, constitutional conventions as such, which is what hasn't happened uh, with the Albanese government to reach uh, a point where um, you know that would happen, where that would take place, but absolutely, you know, the coalition's always supported constitutional um, uh, recognition, uh, and I've always supported that concept also. So, when you look at the Uluru statement from the heart and the large number of uh, Indigenous representatives who came together in Central Australia to come to a position that they then put to the government at the time, at that time, the coalition, what uh, work has been done to consult in communities to arrive at the idea of this? referendum that would just be about constitutional recognition? What consultations have informed that? Uh, well, you know, again, this while that took place in Uluru, um, nothing was done to consult the wider Australian community uh, in terms of a constitutional convention. Uh, and of course, the Australian constitution belongs to every single Australian, not just Indigenous Australians. Um, The process that took place at Uluru is a process that certainly only a hand-picked group of Indigenous Australians um, was privy to and had the privilege of being part of. Certainly there are many, many Indigenous Australians who felt completely left out deliberately for that process uh, and who feel that that doesn't represent their views. Again, um, you know, constitutional convention that involves the whole of Australia uh, is a process I could support. You're a representative of the Northern Territory and you're an Indigenous politician very proudly um, talking about your representation in the NT. So if the Central Land Council and the Northern Land Council are both very strongly in favour of a referendum, they're democratically elected bodies with Indigenous representation, why, don't, why can you justify holding a different position? 
Because I'm, I'm approached quite regularly by individuals who are not represented by the Land Council, um, who feel like they are not listened or heard by the Land Council. Um, they also feel like they, their opportunity as traditional owners is taken away from them by Land Councils to make determinations about their own land as traditional owners. So I, they can represent their bodies as much as they can and they're in executive, but they don't hold the views of all individuals Indigenous Territorians across the board uh, and therefore um, they can say what they want obviously but uh, as the Shadow Minister for Indigenous Australians and as the Senator elected uh, for the Northern Territory conversations I have are certainly in contrast to the positions that the Northern Land Council, the Central Land Council uh, hold. If you don't know vote no is the campaign message from the no campaign but is that essentially you saying that people should remain ignorant about this issue? I know because once people actually look for detail, uh, they don't, they can't find anything, and that's the point. Uh, if the if the prime minister is not providing that detail, we don't know. We're not any clearer on what this voice is supposed to be, and that's the point. If we don't know what the voice is, then this is a red flag. We shouldn't support a proposal when those details don't exist, when Australians can't be fully informed enough to understand. And uh, absolutely, I I have been encouraging Australians across the board to get informed, because what we find is when Australians become informed, they actually tend to vote no. What is divisive about the actual Uluru Statement from the Heart, the document itself? What do you find divisive about that document? Well, there's a couple of things. So um, having, having had conversations with uh, elders, traditional owners from Uluru, um, they feel like the, the, the name Uluru itself has been used, uh, has been exploited for the purpose of a PR campaign. They have suggested that at no stage did Minister Burney or those of the Yes campaign ever show any interest in the uh, dreaming stories, the sacredness of Uluru itself. I mean, for me personally, my family have a dreaming story that connects us, Walpuri, to the Anangu. Uh, and, you know, there are traditional owners who are upset about that use, about the exploitation. That, to me, is extremely divisive. Uh, it's also cultural misappropriation. Uh, and if you want to go along cultural protocol, it's the wrong thing that's been done in terms of cultural protocol. Uh, the 250 uh, peoples whose signatures exist on that, there's uh, some that suggest they weren't sure what they were signing at the time. Uh, I don't believe 250 unelected uh, individuals hand-picked through this process um, is actual any kind of representation of Indigenous Australia as a whole uh, and we don't treat any other racial group of Australians in this manner. I mean, if we got that group of um, Australians for white Australians together and suggested they were speaking for all white Australia, it wouldn't be accepted. If we got that number of people together for Asian Australia, we wouldn't accept that that was the voice of Asian Australia. So there's so many elements to it that I don't agree with. Senator, you've campaigned so strongly on domestic violence and on disadvantage in remote Indigenous communities. What would change if there was just constitutional recognition without a voice? What would change for those communities and individuals that you're so concerned for? 
Well, it doesn't just come down to um, recognition. There's a lot of hard work that needs to be done. Um, recognition of the, the factors that contribute to the high rates of domestic and family violence, especially in the communities that are out of sight, out of mind. Um, you know, as a woman who understands, has grown up with traditional Aboriginal culture, I know the elements of it that accept violence. For example, cultural payback. You know, makarata is a form of cultural payback. A spearing in the leg. Um, all of these sorts of things contribute to the acceptance of violence and ingrain it further in these remote communities until we can actually recognise um, that that is the case. We haven't even got a starting point to try to sort these issues out. And it takes um, you know, responsibility from us as family members and community members and not just an expectation that we blame it on colonisation and therefore have no capability of solving these problems. And you participated in a, a media event, well, a, an event for the No campaign with Alex Hawke in Blacktown in the last couple of weeks. The media were actually asked to leave that event. I think Alex Hawke said if they didn't want to leave, there were hundreds of people in the room that would help them remove themselves from the venue. Firstly, what do you think about that approach to the media? Because some people did feel like it was a bit confronting as members of the media to be spoken to in that way. And also the lack of transparency on the discussion which was with a largely multicultural group in the room, why wasn't it appropriate to keep media uh, in the room to hear what was being said? Well, I, as far as I know, I've, this is the first time I've heard um, that it even took place because I know that I spoke to um, media from the outset um, there and I know that certainly there were elements of um, media who that had access to information as to what occurred in that event. So um, I don't know what the determin determination was around that. I turned up, spoke to media, had a, a good event, um, had good conversations with a lot of the migrant community, uh, and, and that was that. So I guess you'd have to ask um, Alex why he took that particular position. Would you like to see those events be public on, on all occasions from now leading up to the referendum? Would you like to see media be able to attend and document what is discussed I, in those no campaign look, events? I, I think um, I'm happy either way, whether it's a yes campaign or a no campaign. Um, ultimately, whoever's holding the event, I guess it's at their discretion, um, but I'm happy either way. We are so appreciative and uh, for your generous time. Uh, Senator Jacinta Nampajibra-Price, the Shadow Minister for Indigenous Australians, has joined us here today to discuss the referendum to change the constitution. She is, of course, in the no camp, and we do appreciate a chance to speak to all sides of this debate in the weeks ahead.